Go ahead and take your Bibles with me and turn to 1 Corinthians 9. That's where we are this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I have to be honest, I, I, I've never spent so much time in preparation for a sermon as I have for this one this morning. Um, a lot of rewriting, deleting. Um, this text knocked me down a little bit. A little bit down on the scale of my own opinion of self. Um, and, uh, and so I, what I want to bring to you this morning hopefully is coming from a posture of humility. Not of one that is seeking to give you all of the answers but point you to to biblical truth, and I'll flesh that out as we go along here. 1 Corinthians 9 is where we are, and we're going to look at verses 24 through 27 this morning. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to the church in Corinth, Do you not know that the race in the race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you might obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not beat as or a box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I hate running. I hate running. It's, I, I think it's legitimately one of the worst activities that I can engage in. Uh, I suspect that's probably true for many of you. Maybe you love running. That's, that's nice. I'm glad for you. I, I've tried to. I have. In my mind, it seems like a great way to get some exercise, to burn some calories, to stay in shape. In my mind, it seems like a really great activity. But when I'm running, I'm always fighting this mental battle saying, why am I doing this? What on earth am I doing this for? Why on earth? Everything hurts. I'm just going to be done now. That's legitimately how I think when I run. Uh, taking action in general in any sort of area in our lives uh, requires a significant amount of understanding that it's not easy, that things aren't easy. Running for me is not easy, and if it's easy for you, again, congratulations, but it's not for me. And so sure, there's a lot of things that we love to do, and doing them probably doesn't seem like a chore or a task or difficult uh, but the reality that at any time that we take action in our lives, there is some level of sacrifice that's involved. Some level of sacrifice happens. So this is absolutely true of the Christian life. When we get to 1 Corinthians 1, or 9, 24 through 27, we see that Paul understands this. The sacrifices of the Christian life are far greater than being a runner, a marathon runner, or someone who someone who, uh, who seeks to be great at their craft, their sport, whether it be acting or music, whatever it might be. The sacrifices of the Christian life are, are far greater. Um, this can be seen exclusively in verse 25. Athletes run for perishable wreaths, but we as those who follow Christ run for an imperishable one. If we treat the action of the Christian life, if we treat that action like it should come easy, will often give up because it doesn't come easy and because it never will. And a lot of you watch sports. I know that because I watch sports with a lot of you. And we like to watch sports, and sports are great. I love watching sports. I think it's a wonderful thing, um, and I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful that Paul uses a metaphor here that's rooted in a sport. 
Uh, and somehow, sacrifice is, is oftentimes celebrated in, in sports. It's preached to our kids in middle school and in high school and college athletics. Sacrifice in sports, turn on a sports game and watch sports game and watch a, a Gatorade commercial or a, or a Powerade commercial or an Under Armour commercial and you'll see people doing incredible things, lifting huge amounts of weights and playing sports in, in these crazy weather conditions, getting knocked down. And we understand that that requires a lot of sacrifice, we say. But somehow that sort of thing rarely translates for us into the Christian life. We exalt athletes and sports and all the sacrifices it takes, again, or maybe a musician or an actor, say, wow, that sacrifice. They sacrifice so much to be the best at their craft. But somehow in our minds, those elements here that make up the Christian life, somehow we think those should come easily, that they should be convenient or that they shouldn't require sacrifice. Things like knowing God through his word or prayer, both individually and together. Or things like service to the king of the universe. Like these things, involvement in the local church. And so even for me, my own heart was convicted this week as I thought about me raising my kids and thought about what types of things I celebrate in our home. And I asked the question, what am I showing my kids require sacrifice? Is it music or fishing or hunting or golf or, again, service to the king of the universe? And I think about the way that we approach church or the Christian life and how it's so disconnected from the rest of life's activities. It's so disconnected from the, life of, uh, from the rest of life's activities. Let me give you an example. Now, again, I'm not a golfer, so forgive me if this sounds dumb, but you may say something like, I went to the driving range early and hit three buckets of balls before 7 a.m. Does that sound like something a golfer would say? I don't know. If you're a golfer, yeah, yeah okay, maybe. And if you say, wow, that sound, that's what a dedicated golfer. That takes some real initiative and sacrifice. Or I got up at 5 a.m. and ran 12 miles. Wow, what a dedicated, healthy person. That takes some initiative and some sacrifice. Or I just got a promotion at work. Wow, she's pretty young to have that title. That's impressive. That took some initiative and some sacrifice. Um, but again, somehow we've bought into this idea that the Christian life should come easy or that loving others and being together as a local church should work around our schedule or that Sundays are a suggestion or that everyone else exists to serve us and we make excuses like, well, well I'm not saved by going to church or, or something like, I don't want to be a legalist. And while we're mildly inconvenienced, it's not really worth our time. But Paul knew that sports, right? We see it very clearly in this text. Paul knew that sports require sacrifice and our work and our families and our hobbies and all of these things, pretty much everything in life that you set your mind to do and do well requires a significant amount of sacrifice. And so Paul again compares the Christian life to, to sports, to running. His Christianity, Paul's Christianity, we see this clearly painted throughout the course of the New Testament. Paul's Christianity wasn't a convenience-based Christianity. Paul's Christianity uh, required a significant sacrifice. So as we look at our text this morning, there's three things that I want to point out. Three things this morning that we can find in this text. First, one, that we should run to obtain the prize. We should run to obtain the prize. Secondly, we shouldn't run aimlessly. And third, the Christian life is a life of discipline. All three of these things can be seen clearly in this text. 
And the way I started out the way that I did, and the way that I think about this text, is that this requires a significant amount of humility. So for me this morning, and what I'm not saying is that I have that humility, what I am saying is that I hope to, and what I am saying to you is that I don't have very much of it. And so when I approach this text and begin to flesh out the ideas that we see in the New Testament as it pertains to the life of the believer, what I find is that there's a microscope on my own heart, there's a magnifying glass on my own heart, and I see significant deficiencies in the way I approach this space. Honestly, for you, this is the, this is, this is the space. When I come here on a Sunday morning, I have very few things in my life that I'm more privileged to do than to bring the Word of God to you on Sunday mornings. There are my family, my wife, my spouse. These things are incredible privileges that God has given me. But proclaiming the Word to a handful of you every Sunday morning, those who are here and and here with with regularity, to proclaim the Word to you is such a a high level of, of, of a privilege for me. That something getting to a text like this moves me to a place where I'm like, Lord, am I sufficient in any manner to do these things and to bring these thoughts and ideas? So as we go through our time together, there's going to be some things that I say that might raise some objections in you. They might, they've raised some objections in me and have for a long time. I think that this text is a hard one. It doesn't look that hard. Because, again, this text sometimes gets reduced to uh, up on a locker room wall because it has to do with athletics, so we might put it up on the locker room wall. But the reality is this, this outlines clearly for us the amount of sacrifice and discipline required for anyone who says that they're in Christ. And so some of the things, I, like I said this morning, that I'm going to say are going to be relatively difficult. They're going to come across as something that, that, that feels probably tough. And I praise God for that. I praise God that some of these things aren't going to fall on your ears and you're all like, oh my gosh, what is he going to say? But the reality is like some of these things are going to fall on your ears and they're going to raise something. They're going to stir up some dust in your heart that you're going to have to probably process through. And the reason I'm saying that or part of the reason that I'm saying that is because I want to have an open conversation about this. If this is something that you say to yourself, I can't get on board with that. That's okay. Let's talk about it. But don't go away from here, talk to your spouse about it, and let it go. Let's think about these things together as the local church. Let's think about these things as people who are embedded in the local church and who earnestly desire to to please God with our lives. And we're not pleasing God to earn something or to obtain something. We're pleasing God because we understand that that is the response that we should have to the truth that Jesus died for us. That we as a people have been redeemed. That we were separated from God because of our sin. And But God has made a way for us in Christ Jesus to have perfect relationship with him for all of eternity. That's the good news of the gospel. So everything that I'm saying is coming under the umbrella of that. And everything that I'm going to say is going to be a response to that truth this morning. That's what Paul is communicating this morning. So those three things, I wanted to give that to you this morning, those three things. Let's have a conversation, though, about this. If this is something that you struggle with or can't see a way forward in, come, let's talk. Let us reason together. Let's be together as the people of God and proclaim the truth of who God is and the fact that sometimes the truth contained in his word is difficult. So, look here with me. Again, three thoughts. One, we should run to obtain the prize. Two, we shouldn't run aimlessly. And three, the Christian life is a life of discipline. Right? One, 
we should run to obtain the prize. Look at verse 24. This is what Paul says. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you might obtain it. Now, right off the bat, we look at that and we say, what, Paul, what are you communicating? What are you saying to us here? What he's not communicating is that salvation is earned by running. There is one who ran the perfect race and who obtained the prize, and his name is Jesus. So we trust the one who ran the race perfectly and obtained the prize. But we run as those who understand that the prize has been attained and given to us freely in Jesus Christ. It's been taken care of us for in Christ. We cannot and will not in this life run perfectly. Again, Jesus ran the perfect race for us. So immediately we know in this passage, this is rooted in the gospel. Paul's mind is never far from the gospel. It's never more than a sentence away from the truth of the gospel. Everything that he writes to the church in Corinth and all throughout the New Testament is rooted fundamentally in the gospel. So again, rooted in the gospel. We didn't earn, deserve it. We can't work hard or train longer to, 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 to be saved. Jesus did it for us. He died for you to remove that sin that working and training could never remove. So that's off the table. So what is Paul community communicating? What Paul is communicating is that our life is a race with eternal importance. Our lives are a race with eternal importance. The Christian life then becomes a proving ground. It becomes, it's used to demonstrate to the world who we are in Christ, and it's Christ that we serve. And if you are in Christ, your life is not meant to be used for your purposes, but for God's. Self takes a back seat. In a sermon that John Piper preached called, How Then Shall We Run? He says, Make no mistake here. Life is not a place for proving to God or anybody your strength. Life is a place for proving whose strength you trust, man's or God's. Life is not a place for proving the power of your intelligence to know truth. It's a place for proving the power of God's grace to show truth. Life is not a field for demonstrating the force of our will to make good choices. It's a field for showing how the beauty of Christ takes us captive and constrains us to choose and run for his glory. So friends, if you, if you think that your life is a place to demonstrate how strong or how motivated you are, my prayer is that God would overwhelm you. My prayer for you is that God would, not in a touchy-feely kind of like, come overwhelm me, Lord, but in a way that you are so bogged down by the struggles of the world that God would demonstrate to you that he's the only thing that you can rely on. And I pray that for all of you. I'm honest. I'm being serious. I pray that. You're like, why would you pray that? Well, because I would really like, share a prayer request with you. You're telling me you're feeling overwhelmed. My prayer for you is that overwhelming would not be removed until you would learn to be content and to be satisfied and completely dependent on God and all he is for you in Christ. <laughs> Why would I pray that? Because I fully believe that the author of Hebrews, what the author of Hebrews writes in, 12, in Hebrews 12, 11, he says, for the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What an incredible reality. Your pain is not purposeless. So with my prayer that God's purposes will be established in you, that God will not stop short of training you according to his will. And friends, if you're in Christ, he won't. He won't. He will not stop 
short of training you according to his will. Hebrews 12, 7, just a few verses before, says that the reason you have to endure discipline or training is because God is treating you as sons. God is treating you as sons. So we welcome the overwhelming, relish in being buried. We run to Jesus. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He is our source of strength that will get us through. Satisfaction and contentment doesn't come through getting through the tough stuff of life. Satisfaction and contentment comes through resting fully under the wings of God during the trial. And we're just completely honest with you. Just thinking about this point and even just thinking about verse 24 in my own meditation, I'm thinking to myself, I'm so buried. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm, I am as a pastor of this church, underwater. Like, and not just in so many different avenues and ways. We're, we're adding to our family in a significant way. I don't know how that's all going to come together. I don't know how it's all going to come together in every aspect, in every part of that. I'm, I don't know how it's going to come together. We're going to have five kids, five and under. I don't know how that's going to happen. I really don't. I can't prepare for it. And on top of that, I'm learning what it means to be a pastor. I'm learning what it means to be a leader. I'm learning what it means to be a servant. I'm learning what it means to be a friend. I'm learning what it means to be a husband, a father. And so what I'm asking from you is prayer. I, God, guys, I need your prayer. Don't pray that I'd figure it out, but pray that I'd run to Jesus. Pray that I would depend on him. Pray that I would be broken down so no part of me remains. I can't do this. Friends, we don't need people around us who have it figured out. Friends, we need people around us who run to Jesus in the tough stuff of life, who are wholly dependent on him. And so what we see here in verse 24 is that our life has eternal significance. C.T. Studd wrote, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This is the race that Paul is talking about. This is the race that we're running. The race is this. Think about this statement. The proving of one's dependence on God through the proclamation of the gospel. The proving of one's dependence on God through the proclamation of the gospel. This is the race that we're running. When we live out the gospel, when we're quick to forgive as we've been forgiven in Christ, when we're quick to demonstrate mercy to others and to reduce the effects of sin on their lives, because that's what God has done for us in Christ. When we are quick to encourage brothers and sisters to know God because all things have been revealed that we need to know about who he is in his word. When we're quick to be generous in giving to the local church and to the others around us because God has been overwhelmingly generous towards us, not by withholding his son, but by sacrificing him for you. When you do these things, you're running the race because what you're doing is you're proving your dependence on God in the proclamation of the gospel. You're proving your dependence on God through the proclamation of the gospel. And not only when you live them out and show forgiveness and mercy and encouragement and, and generosity, but also when you speak them. When you share what God has done for you in Christ with a coworker, a neighbor, a teammate, or a fellow student, or when you do this boldly and lovingly and humbly, not as someone who's trying to get the upper hand, 
but someone who has is, who is honestly and earnestly understood the truth that God has saved you and redeemed you, not of your own work, but if, as a free gift. And when we proclaim the gospel verbally, we're running the race. We're proving our dependence on God through the proclamation of the gospel. And this, is, this has eternal significance. You were created to know God and to glorify Him by making Him known. When you do that, you're running the race. So Paul tells us to run, that we should run to obtain the prize. And the second thing is that we don't run aimlessly. We don't run aimlessly. Look at verse 26, and this is honestly where this is going to get really tough. We don't run aimlessly. So I do not run aimlessly, Paul says. I do not box as one beating the air. We run with purpose. We run with intentionality. We run with a goal in view. And let me say this, because all of us in this room probably need to to do this exercise. We all need to really seriously, we really seriously need to reconsider how we're using our time, our money, and our gifts. Because in a lot of ways, we're using those things, we're running aimlessly. We're using those things to run in a way that isn't effective or meaningful or sacrificial. And I, and I worry when I say that, you're not going to hear me. We need to reconsider how we're using our time and our money and our gifts. And a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned three things. I don't remember a few weeks ago. Just an easy way to remember this time, treasure, talents. These are three things that we've been given to steward, to almost like shepherd in our lives. God gives us time. We have a fixed amount of time here on earth, right? You have a fixed amount of time in your day, in your week. We have treasure. We have our finances and our material wealth and all the things that God has overwhelmingly blessed us with here in this, in this context. And we have our gifts, we have our talents, those things that our best efforts are going towards throughout the course of our week. The things that God has both, both instilled in us and given us through the Spirit of Christ. Time, treasure, and talents, it's just an easier way of remembering this. So this is, this is again, this is where we're going to speak openly, and I'm going to speak very openly to you this morning. And where objections might arise, and this is where I want to have an honest conversation. I'm going to make three statements here. And you're going to hear me say, in each of these, you're going to hear me say the words, local church. Now when I say those words, and I use those words pretty frequently in this context, when I say those words, I think that we probably have a pretty wide range of definitions when I say those two things. So we're going to define it this morning. This is before I make these three statements. When I say the words local church, I'm talking to you all who have identified with Buffalo City Church about Buffalo City Church. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Buffalo City Church Incorporated. I'm talking about the unified body of believers. A group of people who come together under the heading of Jesus Christ. Who have said, this is the place where we find community and camaraderie amongst the believer, amongst believers. So the definition of the local church that we regularly use is that the church is God's people set apart for God's purposes, for God's glory. 
The church is God's people set apart for God's purposes, for God's glory. And Buffalo City Church, that, that's you. If you don't go to Buffalo City Church, you are Buffalo City Church. When you say, we tell our kids, well, we're going to church. Well, we're not going to church. We are the church. We are going to meet together as the church. We can change our vocabulary there. That might be helpful. So don't, we don't want to come together and refer to your church or my church because it's Jesus' church. This expression of it, this is Jesus' church. We happen to make up this expression of it. This church isn't a man-made construction. Oftentimes we think of it like that. Much like we think of social clubs or, or, or different service organizations that exist in our city. The church is not that, although a lot of churches have reduced their involvement in the community to social, uh, to social endeavors exclusively. That's not who we are. The church is not a man-made construction. Jesus said that he would build his church in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus is the one who's building it. It can't be my church or your church. It can't be pastor, it's your church because neither of us died for it. I didn't die for the church. I'm standing up here this morning. I didn't die for the church. And neither did you. So when we say local church, I'm not talking about an organization, although we are organized we are organized. I hope we're organized. I like to be organized. I'm an organized person. We like to be organized, but we're organized around the heading of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. So when I say local church, I'm talking about Buffalo City Church, not as an organization or as an entity, but the people of God coming together for the purpose of God, for God's glory. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the local church. So keep that in mind. Three considerations, time, treasure, and talents. The first place, here are my three statements. The first place that you should give your time is to the local church. The first place that you should give your treasure is to the local church. The third place, or the first place, the third place, the first place that you should, that's this is number three, the first place that you should give your gifts is the local church. Now, I know that this is going to raise some objections inside of you, so let me clarify each of these, Okay. First of all, why would I make these three statements? One, because this is your training ground. Because this is the place where we're coming together to run the race. We see this as the opportunity to, to build into one another, to encourage one another, to move forward in our, in our day-to-day, into our, in our lives. This is our gym. It's our training facility. If we want to continue with the sports metaphor, it's our weight room. We get ready to run, and the people we're going to run with are here in this room. So, Again, let me think through these three things with you. We don't want to be running aimlessly. This is under this heading. We don't want to run aimlessly. We don't want to beat the air. We want to box and we want to land some punches. So these three things. Let's start with money because it's the hardest, but it's also the easiest because it's talked about a lot. Romans 8.32. This is kind of our fundamental text when it comes to our discussion on finances. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things, friends. Friends, this is a promise. It's stated as a question, but it's rhetorical. All things. All things are given to us in Christ. Eternal life and inheritance that includes ruling over all of creation, that is given to us in Christ Jesus. We're called to be sacrificial and generous with our money in response. 
a good place to start. This is the, the pattern set in the Old Testament is 10% of our income. It should be given, I believe, it's a local church. The Old Testament talks about the tithe, means a tenth. It's a good place to start. When we're talking about being sacrificial, that's probably not the end of it. 15, 20, 50. This is really a mindset shift because Scripture talks about offering our best. Right? Scripture start, talks about offering our first fruits. That which has been freely given to us, now we offer back to God. God offered his best for us in Jesus, and we're called to offer our best in response. So we must ask ourselves, are we offering our best? And let me head off this objection here, because this is one that's probably, you know, it it's runs rampant in my own heart. I'm giving, I'm giving 10% of my, my income, but it goes to different places, different ministries, parachurch organizations. Why should I give 10% to the local church? I think we've, we've sort of already established that, Right? This is our training facility or our weight room. This is where we get ready to run and people we're going to run with. But something that we've said multiple times, we've said it a lot actually, is that the church is God's primary way for accomplishing his purposes and mission here on earth. This is his plan A. There are lots of plan Bs, but this is the church is his plan A. It's what he established, the institution that he bought with his blood. It's his plan A. And this gets said around, like I said, a lot around here, so I'm not going to belabor it, but we see all throughout the New Testament, there is no such thing as a believer in the New Testament that is disconnected from the local church. Paul plants churches in the New Testament and appoints pastors and overseers, elders, and other types of leaders in each context. Gospel ministry is never divorced from the local church for Paul. Jesus tells his disciples again that he will build his church and that the tasks, their task, the task of those who are involved in and part of those local expressions of the church, that their task is to make disciples. Their task is not to build the church. That's Jesus' task. It is the task of the, the people who make up the local church to make disciples. So we have a command to make disciples. Jesus says, I'll build my church. Those disciples, when the apostles went out in Acts and began making disciples, those, apostles, or those, those disciples were never divorced or never removed from the local church, but always immediately embedded into a local church wherever they were at. This is part of the Great Commission where Jesus says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, so that are welcome to the local church through baptism, and through the instruction of the word. So if Buffalo City Church didn't exist, we can all say this, and I can say this with a high level of certainty, if Buffalo City Church didn't exist, the purposes of God would go forward in Jamestown. They would. But if you're here, you're making a statement that you believe Buffalo City Church is a viable hub for mission. You're saying that you believe that this is a place where, where we can rally together and run the race and not beat the air, but land some punches for the advancement of the gospel. I'm assuming that's why you're here. Because we believe together as the people of God, we can go out and proclaim the gospel together. 
We're here to equip, to train, to build, to minister, to care for, for feed in the name of Jesus. And if this is the case, and we can affirm these things, then we want to be this to be the first place where we bring our first fruits. So that's the first response, is, is that, that the church, the local church, is God's primary way for accomplishing his purposes and mission here on earth. The second response is this, to this objection. The people in this room, and back there in the locker rooms, our kids and the kids out in the hallway here, why wouldn't this be the, or, uh, the, the we, this should represent the people that we're primarily first committed to, back there over here in this room? And gospel ministry that the church is called to is built on the community and the camaraderie and the diversity of the local church. Let me say that again. Gospel ministry that the church is called to is built on the community and the camaraderie and the diversity of the local church. So we have diversity here. We've got age diversity. We've got racial diversity. We've got a handful of areas in which we are diverse here. The local church is made up of all types of people. And we are called into community and camaraderie in the diversity of the local church. And out of that flows gospel ministry. Churches should seek to be diverse in every sort of way because that is an understanding of the gospel. The diversity that the gospel welcomes. The gospel is not for one type of people. It is not for one specific people group. The gospel is given and is for all types of people. The shed blood of Jesus says there is no one, there is no barrier that is in place that prevents you from coming under the heading of child of God. And so we as a church seek that diversity, we seek community in it, and we seek camaraderie through it, and then we go out and we preach the gospel. So let me propose one more mindset shift before we move away from the, our, our thought about, thoughts about money. And I think this is part of like that Romans 12 to renewal of the mind. Like let's, let's together have our minds be renewed in this. God owns everything, right? We read Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. God owns everything. You know this. Your kids are being taught that. We know it too. God owns everything. Everything that we have belongs to him. So instead of thinking, how much money will I give away? Think, how much of the Lord's money will I keep for myself and my purposes? Start thinking in those terms. Because when I start to think in those terms, I think to myself, man, I am not, I am not at all generous with what the Lord has given to me. How much of the Lord's money will I keep for myself and my purposes? I'm 100% convinced that I can run harder with the goal in view by keeping less. Secondly then, and this is probably the tougher of the three, the toughest, superlative, not comparative, the toughest of the three, time. The same principle applies how much of the Lord's time will I keep for myself? The, fullness, the, the, earth, the, the, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. That includes time, friends. We've got our family. We've got marriage. We've got work. We've got sleep. And what about the other hours? 
And the immediate objection here again is, and this is where it requires a significant amount of humility for my part, because I feel like I don't use my time all that well. The first place that you should give your time is the local church. And so the immediate objection to that is, well, what about my family or my spouse? Or I have to provide for them, right? Right, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, good, yes, go, excel, work hard. Love your wife. Love your husband. Respect your husband. Raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Do those things to the fullest extent. I, mean, I think, I honestly believe that the first expression of the church is the home. We should be seeking to raise our kids and preaching the gospel to them all of the time. They should always be hearing the gospel from us and the way that we live. And when we fail them, we say, we say I'm so sorry. When I look at my five-year-old and say, I'm so sorry that I lost it on you. Like, my dad needs grace. And grace only comes through Jesus Christ. I'm preaching the gospel. The first expression of the local church is the home. And churches thrive when families are saturated in the gospel. And, sure, and, and marriages thrive when, 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 when marriages are strong in the gospel. But the question that we need to ask is, does our time with family include Bible reading and prayer and knowing God and speaking the gospel? And what about our time with our spouse? And those things won't happen without a significant amount of intentionality. If we're running aimlessly in the home, well, we're not, we're not spending time with our family. We're finding convenience. So we wouldn't miss a soccer game or a school program, but we may, and I am so guilty of this, put our kids to bed without giving the word of God a, a thought. And as far as work goes, you were created for it. God gave it to Adam before before the fall, work is not a result of sin. Work is something that we are called to do, every single one of us. And so we, we're created for it, so we run hard in it. But as one who has an aim to display the gospel through our conduct towards and love for others. And even with that in mind, there are a lot of hours in the week that we are doing things that aren't specifically dedicated to these things. And I would just, I would just urge you to make an assessment Make an honest assessment here. And I think if we're being honest, we're saying there aren't any hours in our week that aren't dedicated to those things. I just, just I, let's make an honest assessment. Something that I'm convicted of is if, if, if my, my primary focus or the focus of my children is on a screen, that's not family time. That's not family time. Whatever you think about our time like our personal budget? What if we think about our time like our money? What if we had to write a check for every awake hour we spent? And if we thought about our time like we think about our money, I guarantee we protect it a lot more than we do. And if there is an area where we can, as people, fall into running aimlessly and boxing as one beating the air, it's with our time. So intentional running, intent, running with purpose, running with an aim, and running with the gospel in mind. And so the reason I say then that the first place that we should give our time to is the local church is not because we should ignore our spouse or our family or our work, but because it all should be woven together. Why are we siphoning that time off? And that doesn't necessarily mean even being with other people, but recognizing that, that we're being equipped by the local church for ministry in the home. And then using that as an opportunity to share with others. I say, you know what? Like, I really had to, or confess with others, or build someone up who's having a tough time raising their kids, or a tough time in their marriage, or a tough time with their singleness, 
or a tough time in any one of these areas. We need to leverage these things for gospel proclamation because this is what Paul is doing. How can we be a part of that? How can we, our running, promote the intentional running of others? And I posit to you this morning, I'll submit to you that it's by giving time to the local church. Give yourself to equipping others for gospel-informed parenting, gospel-informed marriages, gospel-informed work. Allow yourself to be equipped with gospel-informed parenting, gospel-informed marriages, gospel-informed singleness, gospel-informed work, gospel-informed hobbies. God's design for your family and your marriage is, and your work is not to be fulfilled if you compartmentalize and cut yourself off from the people of God because of the calendar. The family unit, your marriage, your work are extremely important and you should work hard to protect them and to grow them and to long to see them flourish. But one of the most important ways to see them grow and flourish is to be embedded, your whole family, in the context of the local church. So Buffalo City Church, again, we exist to equip and train and grow and care for you and for others and for our community, the people on your left and your right this morning, your family and your marriage and the Jamestown community with the gospel. We want to take the gospel to all of these fears. One of the great tragedies of the, of the last century in the church is that we think that personal evangelism is done exclusively by going out and striking up a conversation with someone on the street. Well, that's good and fine. I have a mission field in my own home. So the third thing here then is giftings and talents. And I won't linger here because again, the same principles apply. But we ask the question, where are our best efforts going? And we ask the question, is the local church part of the equation? Is this is the hub for mission served through our giftings? If it, is, it, is it served through our giftings or is it drained by our demands? Is the local church served through our giftings or drained by our demands? And our, our giftings, my wife pointed this out to me, our giftings are both discovered and developed in the context of the local church. Our giftings are both discovered and developed in the context of the local church. We should give you like a spiritual gift survey. Maybe some of you would take that. I think those are well and fine, and, and oftentimes they're accurate. But the reality is that when we're doing life and being together as the body of Christ and investing time and resources into one another, what we find is that our giftings come to the top. And we see them and we begin to understand what they are and how we can best use them to serve others around us. If, let, me, let me just propose this to you. If, you're, if, you, if you think that you're gifted in an area, if you believe that you're gifted in an area, do something. Put yourself out there. Be willing to try it. Serve some others with your potential gift. And often, re and often the reason we don't is because we feel insecure. We apply the gospel. You're secure in Christ. And hopefully someone say, well, I think I have the gift of hospitality. And you have someone over, you burn all the food, and, you, and, and, and nobody has a good time, and you all just sit there and stare at each other. It would probably be a great grace for someone to say, hey, brother or sister, you might not have the gift of hospitality. 
But if we, if we have that openness and that communication and that ability as those who love each other and who are invested in one another, say, let's look for something else. There are other ways that we can serve the body. That's not condemnation. So in humility, if that's the case, we want to be willing to try something else. And if it happens to be a way we can build other up, great. And if not, don't be discouraged. Your identity is in Jesus and not your gift. Your identity is in Jesus and not your gift. And so friends, running with purpose means reserving the best of your time, treasure, and talents for the local church. And I say this with complete humility, as much as I possibly can. Because the reality is that I will be held responsible for the resources and how the resources of Buffalo City Church are deployed. So will we as a church put our money where our mouth is? Will we say that we have a vision and go out and get it? Will we go out there and say, we want to plant churches. We want to see churches in the Jamestown region revitalized and built up. Will we say we want to care for the people of Jamestown and will we actually do it? Will we equip people effectively for gospel ministry in their marriages, in their families, in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods? And I'm, I'm excited to see how God will use the resources that we have here at Buffalo City Church for those things to become a reality. And again, it is all God's anyway. But we have a great privilege to be on the front lines of the gospel going forward in Jamestown, North Dakota. Friends, that is your call and my call. We are both called to that. But it won't happen if we just leave it to a handful of people who seem motivated. And if we're in Christ, we get to participate, not just spectate. We get to run the race. We get to box and we get to knock someone out. No, we don't, not really. But you know what I'm saying, the metaphor here. J.D. Greer, the pastor of a church in North Carolina, he says this frequently. He says, generosity is contagious and so is stinginess. Generosity is contagious and so is stinginess. And that operates in all of our spheres of life. Are we going to use our giftings for ourselves and our own purposes or are we going to, as the people of God, use our giftings and deploy them for the advancement of the gospel in the Jamestown community? Same goes for our time. Same goes for our money. Finally then, last thing, and we'll move through this relatively quickly because I know I've been going for a long time here. Finally, the Christian life is a life of discipline. Look at verse 27. Paul says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I, should, I myself should be disqualified. So all of this requires sacrifice, right? Paul knew it. He knew giving time, treasure, and talent for the gospel was a big sacrifice. Just as training to run is uncomfortable and I hate it, so is in some instances or in all instances proclaiming the gospel and seeing the gospel advance in our community. And again, we're back to where we started. We promote the sacrifice for things that we love. We promote sacrifice for the things that we love. If we're promoting sacrifice for sports or music to our kids, we're teaching them to love sports or, or, sports or music. If we're promoting sacrifice for a hobby, we're showing others that we love that hobby. If we're promoting sacrifice for work, we're showing others that we love work. Friends, even more of the... If you don't hear anything I say, hear this. Hear this. Friends, 
even more than these, let's promote the sacrifice, let's promote sacrifice for the bride of Christ, the church, because in doing so, we're demonstrating love for Jesus. Let's promote sacrifice for the bride of Christ, the church, because in doing so, we're demonstrating love for Jesus. This is, this is the most compelling reason that I can give you for serving people in the local church with the first fruits of your time, treasure, and talent. It is the most compelling reason I can give you. Jesus laid down his life. He set his life down. He laid it down for his bride, and he calls us to do the same. Jesus didn't run aimlessly. He ran with purpose, with great discipline. And maybe you're here and you're wondering what next steps might be. How can I be sacrificial with my time? Find someone who's part of Buffalo City Church you can invest in or be willing to be invested by someone weekly or bi-weekly or however. Maybe you just need to say to someone in your community group, can we just get together once a week for lunch and read a book of the Bible? And also free up some of your evenings. Have family night. Have two family nights. Have three family nights. But maybe just dedicate a night of the week and reserve it for another family. And maybe that takes a year. Maybe you're not there yet. <laughs> it's, it's the most foolish thing in the world to think that we can go from zero to 60, right? In 0, 0.0 seconds. Let's set these as goals. Let's make these our goals. Let's meditate on the sacrifice of Christ and pray that he would give us a heart that mirrors that sacrifice. Write it down. Make it a priority. Don't re-up all your commitments next time. Rather, work to create margins so that when the needs come up and require time, you can sacrificially meet them. And learn how to say no to things that are aimless running. If there's something in your life right now, you're like, yeah, I'm not really quite sure how that fits into all this, the proclamation of the gospel uh, and, and expressing dependence on God. Maybe it's time to, to let that thing go. And to be honest with you, yourself about the things that are running aimless. We ask the question, how can I be sacrificial with my money? Just work towards giving 10% to the local church. Write it down. Make it a goal. Work towards it. Again, 0 to 60 in 0 0.0 seconds is not a reality. Work towards it. Work to give more money over and above when needs arise. Ask yourself the question, how much of the Lord's money will I keep for myself and my purposes? Generosity in the Christian life is a non-negotiable in our time and our treasure and our talents because it is a very practical picture of denial of self and the sacrifice of Christ. So in conclusion then, I'll just very quickly, in conclusion, I want to frame this all within the question that we asked last week. We asked the question, how do I know that I'm a Christian? That's part of this. We want to together, as people who are taking action, recognize that that's part of and a fundamental piece of our assurance of salvation. Last week I quoted from Jonathan Edwards. He says, Assurance is not to be obtained so much by self-examination as by action. For someone, again, who is a self-examiner, this is tough. And last week we thought about our self-examination and the fact that the important thing isn't that we know ourselves, but that we're searched and known by God. But the truth of that understanding will inevitably lead to one thing, action. Or like we've stated this morning, running. And so the answer to the question, how can I be sure that I'm a Christian, can be answered like this. Run the race with gospel direction. Take the gospel and apply it to every sphere of your life and run hard. 
Allowing the truth that Jesus Christ suffered and died for your sin so that you could spend eternity with God in everlasting joy. Allow that truth to boldly inform and empower everything that you do. That's running the race with gospel direction. And consider the practical ways you can run with gospel direction. Embed yourself in the local church. Use your time, treasure, and talents to serve others. Not the church as an entity again, but the people who have come together under the heading of Jesus Christ. First, I'm not pulling any punches here. I'm not telling you that this is easy. This is not a bait and switch. This is not a manipulation tactic. If it was, I'd tell you it was easy. It's not easy. If you're wondering why all of this is important, or you're making objections, it's simply because you're not using your time, treasure, or talents for the local church for gospel purposes. Or another way of saying of it is, if you're wondering why running is so important or making excuses not to run, it's because you're not running. If you're not using your time, treasure, and talents for the local church and for gospel purposes, it's because you're not using your time, treasure, and talents for the local church or gospel purposes. Or another way of saying it, if you're not running, it's because you're not running. Action doesn't imply perfect understanding. <coughs> Excuse me. Action doesn't imply perfect understanding, but it does imply a goal. Action doesn't imply perfect understanding, but it does imply a goal. Friends, we have clear go a clear goal that cannot be ignored because Jesus commanded us to do it, to proclaim the gospel, to give us direction. Let's not beat the air. Together we can land some punches for the advancement of the gospel. In order to do that, we have to stop pretending like anything in the Christian life is going to fall into our laps, that it doesn't require sacrifice. So can we run together with the gospel in mind? Can we do that? And no, this isn't about what you do again, but it's about responding to what's been done. The gospel is the most incredible truth. Your sin separated you from God. You were dead in it, destined for the grave and hell and the eternity of God's wrath poured out on you. But Jesus, the Son of God, stepped in. He went to the grave. He defeated it. He absorbed the wrath of God for you and for me, and promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against his bride, the church. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It's a free gift of grace. So let's allow this truth to be our direction for running together. Let's pray.